0: Today
1: on Lawyers Rising. You know, it takes a lot to run a, a good size law firm. You know, you have to be committed to it.
0: 25 facts attorneys need to know about law firm politics. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by three members of the BCG attorney search team. Bree Mills is recruiting manager. Romina Filipu is a recruiter. And Harrison Barnes is the founder and chief executive. Hello to you all. Morning. Good, morning. Good morning. So today we're going to talk about some of the most important facts that attorneys and law students and even partners should know about law firm politics. Um, just to kind of set up this conversation, maybe I'd like to go around the horn and just talk about those unspoken, those unwritten rules that maybe you were never taught in school uh, and just how important that really is for an attorney's career. Um, anybody can jump in here, but I think with any career, there are these unspoken rules that uh, you kind of have to figure out on your own. We're trying to help uh, guide folks on that. But uh, can you guys talk a little bit about that just to set this conversation up?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that when you're in law school and especially when you're kind of gearing towards getting, you know, a big law firm job, um, you just are really not prepared for the reality of what kinds of expectations there are going to be and just sort of navigating the law firm. So that's really what we're here to talk about today, um, to just really give people an understanding and a groundwork for what are you getting yourself into and what is, what, what is there to be expected and how do you survive it and how do you thrive and, and succeed?
0: So we're referencing an article that Harrison wrote at bcgsearch.com and I think maybe we should just jump right into it starting with the first rule which is or first lesson which is to avoid people with issues in the firm. I guess every workplace has them, but can you elaborate on that point um, why do you want to avoid people with issues in the firm?
1: Well, I think that the most important thing is is that if you're uh, seen associating with people that have, you know, problems, uh, you know whether it's performance related or You know, they may be leaving the firm, and they have issues that uh, you know people uh, that they have problems with will assume that you're uh, you know on their side. And if they assume that, then uh, you know then they're likely to have issues with you as well. And so you just kind of want to stay away from that. And there's always going to be people that are upset inside of a law firm. And then I think the other thing is just that um, you know you know you're whatever negative people say to you and whatever ever they think is going to rub off on you. So, you know, and then you're going to see the world kind of in their negative way. So, you know, you don't want to really pollute your mind with that. I mean, you you know, you need to stay positive. And if you stay positive, um, you know, then you're going to be much better off than if you, you know, look at things in a negative way. And there's going to be people in every firm that are going to see things in a negative way. And it's important to stay away from them.
0: Yeah, Romina, I suppose that's especially important, working in a stressful law firm where the work is difficult, the hours are long, so keeping a positive mindset is critical to success.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think people with issues can kind of come in different forms. I mean, there are people who maybe, like Harrison was saying, you know, aren't happy with the law firm or the work that they're doing, and their negativity can rub off. Onto other people, and then you know, there's people who maybe don't do very good quality work, um, and you know, I think people over time will start to realize, you know, at, at an early point in your career, you might sort of fall in, fly under the radar in terms of you know doing lower quality work, but over time, people are going to start to realize. So yeah, you you need to sort of um, associate yourself with people who are well liked by the partners and the senior associates and Um, Who do good quality work, especially as a junior associate, obviously you want to learn from and develop as an associate under someone who does do good quality work and who is well liked and who has a good attitude.
0: The second point that Harrison makes in his article really ties into the first, and it's about avoiding working with toxic partners and senior associates, Um, working with coworkers that are toxic. That's one thing, but it becomes even more problematic, I think, when you're talking about dealing with with bosses and supervisors who have uh, kind of toxic personalities. How do you go about doing that, about trying to avoid those people or at least trying to reduce your contact with them?
3: I think it can be... A little bit tricky sometimes. I think Harrison mentions in his article that um, the toxic partners or the partners that are difficult to work with are sort of known a lot of the times. And sometimes associates are hired to work specifically under those difficult partners. So, in that case, you know, you might be in trouble before joining a firm. If it seems like you're going to be working under one partner, I think it's good to kind of ask around as much as possible, ask other associates what it's like. To work with, you know, that partner, I would say after you get the offer, obviously, you kind of have to be careful about what kinds of questions you ask early on in the interview process. But once you've gotten an offer, I think it's totally fine to ask those questions of associates, you know, about what it's like to work for a particular partner. But if there is sort of some say, you know, I would try to stay away from the toxic partners and toxic partners, you know, like I said about associates can come in different forms, but a toxic partner can be someone who's just really, really difficult to work with and um, you know, obviously someone like that is probably not going to be very happy with the work products that you put forward and they're less likely to give you a good year-end review and that can definitely affect your advancement within the firm.
0: Does anyone else want to jump in on that point, Harrison or Brie?
1: Well, yeah, I'll just jump in real quick. And I mean, the, and the, the adage is that, you know, one-third of the people you won't like, one-third of the people um, will like you, one-third of the people will not care. So if it's someone you just kind of automatically... Don't think you're going to like. It's probably a good idea to avoid working for them. And uh, and you, you're not, you know, when you get into the firm, I mean, you're generally going to start hearing stories about people, you know, working with others and having bad experiences. And so as you see that, uh, it's, it's best to kind of avoid the people uh, that seem like they're going to be problematical. Uh, just you know, to the extent you can stay away from them, it's going to be the smartest thing you can do.
2: Yeah, and no, I, I just have a sort of a story about a senior associate that I think is relevant here. I, I was working with a senior associate who would always try to kind of take credit for the work that I was doing. So I would do some great work, and because she was sort of in between me and the partner, she would kind of repackage my work and send it to the partner without really crediting me. So that's that's another kind of toxic um, sort of supervisor a situation that can happen that is is really not ideal, and that you're not you're not getting the kind of the credit that's due, and you're not being able to establish your reputation with your that partner too. So understanding that dynamic is also important, and I think similar to like what Romina said, you can kind of suss some of that stuff out. Um, and to the extent that you might not want to work with that, that's just something else to be aware of because that can definitely um, kind of impede your progress in the firm if you're not even getting credit for the for the work that you're doing. And also just a good rule just something to be, to think about if, if any senior associates are listening, you know, that's really not cool. (laughs) So, you know, and that's going to be something that's going to probably rebound on you in a negative way down the line. So, you know, I think just, just best practices of being a a positive, you know, presence in the, in the workflow is, is something to, to aim for.
0: Well, I suppose the corollary to that point is uh, trying to associate yourself with partners who have large books of business, uh, who are easier to work with. I mean, this is probably self-evident, but can we talk a little bit more about how you can uh, engage with those sorts of partners, those senior associates in the firm, while of trying to avoid those that uh, have these more uh, toxic elements to their personality?
2: Yeah, I think it really comes down to, to relationship building and kind of being present at the firm. I know there was a lot of advice given to me to kind of be around, certainly be at the office, because a lot of offices don't really have FaceTime requirements, quote unquote. Um, it's like, you don't have to be in your office, but you're really missing out on a big firm networking opportunity if you if you aren't. So we, we had like a cafeteria that was um, in our in our law firm and like just going to, to lunch and being seen um, by partners, like you're kind of become top of mind to that partner and they might come to you for work and you just being social and making yourself known and making partners aware that you want to work with them is is definitely a good first step.
3: And then in terms of partners with large books of business, um, you know, obviously, I think there are two types of partners. There are, you know, the rainmaker partners that have a lot of their own business. And then there are service partners that work underneath the partners that have the big books. And obviously, I think it's best to work for the partners with big books, um, because they are, you know, they have a steady stream of, of work and clients that, you know, they service and that if you work for those partners, you should hopefully have a steady stream of work as well. And, uh, you know, I think if it, at some point you're sort of still at the firm and, and you're up for partner, I think those Those partners with the big books of business, like Harrison mentions in his article, will have kind of more pull. Um, The firm obviously wants to keep them happy because they're bringing in a lot of work and a lot of clients, a lot of money for the firm. So, you know, that rainmaker partner is going to have more of a say when when you're maybe up for partner. Um, And then obviously, if something happens with the firm and, you know, the firm's not doing so well or the partner goes to another firm... Um, if you do good work for that, you know, big book of business partner, he or she's a lot more likely to bring you over to a new firm with him or her. So there are a lot of advantages, I would say, to working with a partner with a
0: big book of business. Harrison, do you want to jump in on that point?
1: No, I think uh, uh, Romina made really all the the important points. I mean, and I think the the, the biggest one to be concerned about is if the the partner moves, uh, then you know they can also take you with them. So. You know, the partners, when, when law firms have problems and they go out of business and so forth, or uh, when partners move to a better firm, or if there's a better opportunity for one reason or another, uh, if you're working for a partner with a lot of business, that partner is typically going to be able to bring you with you, whereas other partners won't. So partners with a lot of business have, you know, more ability to make you partner. They have more ability to um, give you work and keep your hours up because your hours are very important. When layoffs occur, it's usually the people that don't have enough hours. So, you know, if you work with partners that have a lot of business, you can always get a lot of business as well uh, in the future from them and work. And one thing I saw um, that was interesting to me is I was sitting on a plane with a corporate partner uh, that was from a, a, like a major law firm in Costa Mesa that was a LA-based law firm. And he was a corporate partner, but, you know, his clients were these just giant healthcare clients. And I don't think that that firm had made any corporate partners in their Costa Mesa office really you know, for, for any equity partners and, you know, really for 20, 30 years. And, um, and he told me that, you know, the way he got all his work was a, a, you know, partner retired and left them all as clients. So, you know, when you work for, um, you know, major partners with a lot of business, if they retire, they can also give you a lot of, you know, the clients and that can be, you know, very helpful for you as well.
0: Okay. Let's shift away from the kind of interpersonal characteristics inside of, uh, inside of a firm to uh, more internal things, the things that you need to work on yourself or or make sure the mistakes that you don't make, uh, with your own behavior, starting with never complaining about anything, uh, especially when you're a young attorney. I think this applies really to any field, but especially as a young attorney, you want to avoid being seen as a complainer. Again, kind of self-evident, but can we talk a little bit about why that is so important?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that the work becomes it can be very difficult and you might have a um, a natural inkling to complain because things might be tough. Um, but when you complain, it really just brings a, a negative energy to the whole thing. I mean, like everybody's kind of dealing with the same thing um, and. If uh, if you're the one that if you're the only one complaining, I mean, people are going to think, well, okay, so this person just can't handle the work. They can't. They're not um, fully committed. So I I think nobody likes to work with a complainer. And it's just really it's a, a real bummer um so i think even if you're feeling those things it's really just kind of important to keep it to yourself and maybe find other outlets to complain outside of the firm um if that's just something that you need to kind of for your own mental health is to find you know a good friend who's got nothing to do with your firm just call up your best friend and, and complain or talk to your significant other um just don't bring it into the office um but even that i think you know you know every everybody everybody complains at the workplace but um yeah, anyway, I think you just have, you have to find
0: a different outlet for it. <laughs> yeah, just don't make it into a, a daily habit.
1: Well, and then the other thing is that if, if uh, you know, if people think positively, you know, they're more likely to give you work and better reviews and, uh, you know, think of you uh, in, a, in, a, in a positive way. So it's just very important.
3: You know, they're more likely to give you work and they're likelier to give you better reviews. And, you know, they're more likely to sort of give you the inside scoop, warn you of danger, um, you know, warn you about, other associates that maybe don't have your best interest or, or speaking negatively of, about you. Um, and, you know, senior associates and partners that you're working for are more likely to overlook your mistakes if you sort of have a generally positive attitude and you don't complain too much. So, I think that that rings true in a lot of professions. I'm sure, you know, it's it's better to be kind of positive and, and not complaining and good things will kind of come back to you.
2: Yeah. And I think it can't be underestimated how important it is to be nice to everybody, including the legal staff at a firm, because they have a lot more pull than you might realize and they... Gossip and talk, and can things if, if you're mean to like a secretary or a paralegal, um, and if you're short with them or, or impatient with them or, or or just don't don't treat them well, um, you know a lot of partners have really good relationships with their own legal secretaries, and if that stuff starts to kind of uh, get you know that rumor starts around the office that um, Joe Schmo is a real you know piece of work and is really. Treating the secretaries terribly, and that's that can really have a negative impact on your your overall reputation at the firm. So don't don't uh, discount those other relationships outside of just the other attorneys in the office.
0: Yeah, and going a part and parcel with that, and earlier in this conversation, we were talking about trying to avoid people that are, are negative or, or toxic. Uh, inside the firm. So you want to avoid doing that as well. In, you know, talking negatively about others in the firm, spreading gossip, being that person, uh, again, is something you probably desperately want to avoid, especially in your early years at the firm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, I have seen partners who have been reported, have had paralegals report to them about what an attorney did. And so now a partner knows how crappy this associate is treating a paralegal. And it's, you know, it, it's just, uh, you you don't ha- you can't think of the support staff as beneath you or not they're not you know as important and um, I just I've seen that mistake made by a lot of young attorneys who just have a bit of a of a s- self entitled air um, really kind of having a negative impact on their career at the firm
3: yeah and then in terms of talking negatively about other associates and partners obviously it's something that you should probably not do I remember I was working at a big law firm. And I was working under a mid-level associate. I think she was around a fourth year. And she just loved to talk negatively about everyone, you know, partners, associates. And um, it was a little uncomfortable for me. Obviously, I was a first year and she sort of held herself out to me as a mentor. But, you know, a lot of the times, rather than mentoring me, she was just sort of talking negatively about everyone, about a guy that she had brought into the firm, about her close friend at the firm, about partners. So it can be tricky to navigate, especially when it's someone that you work sort of directly under. And um, like Bree mentioned, you know, she was a mid-level, not a senior, but she sort of was directly between me and the partner on a couple of the matters that I was working on. So it's tricky. I mean, you know, and she's actually still at the firm. She's, she's a senior counsel at the firm. So um, unfortunately, I don't think my firm sort of really has the luxury to let people go. But I think um, if she were at another firm, she probably would would be long gone by now. But I'm pretty sure she's still up to the same antics.
0: What about just being seen to be working hard um, and, and to actually be working hard, not just to be seen to be working hard? But, uh, you know, I think this is kind of, uh, again, an obvious thing that uh, nevertheless, a lot of young Attorneys, a lot of young people generally kind of forget that, how important it is, how important it is to be, uh, to be something of a billing machine, especially in, in your early years. Can you talk a little bit about that, about working hard and, and being seen to be working hard?
1: Well, I mean, billing is like the most important thing that, you know, in a law firm in terms of what creates revenue. And, uh, you know, the people that bill the most hours typically, uh, you know, are the ones that are contributing the most to the firm financially. Uh, you know, as long as they have a good attitude to go along with it, I mean that's that's positive as well. But you know, I mean, one of the examples that I gave is, you know, I saw someone that was actually working two jobs, but a billing a lot of hours, and uh, for some reason they were able to get away with it for for five years, and uh, you know, which is pretty astonishing to me, uh, you know, because um, if they hadn't been billing a lot of hours or at least turning a lot of hours, then that would have been a problem, uh, but. One of the things that I see and that I think is very important about billing a lot of hours is that, in order to get a lot of hours, you typically need to do very good work. So, you know, partners and others aren't going to give you work to do unless you're doing good work. And so, billing hours is not always a sign just of the fact that you're working hard. It's that you're doing you're doing very good work, and people are continually assigning you more work to do. And, and that's what's one of the reasons it's most important. And typically, when law firms make partnership decisions, you know, in addition to, you know, if you have business and so forth, I mean, they're also looking at, you know, how hard you work and how, you know, much you distinguish yourself in terms of your hours and your financial contribution to the firm compared to other people. And then one final thing also is that, you know, if you are billing a lot of hours, uh, you know, then and if a law firm doesn't have to write off your time when they do believe it's productive, then that's also something that can make a big difference.
3: And when I'm sort of working with uh, associates and trying to help them with a lateral firm move, a lot of the times or pretty much always I'll ask the associate how many hours they've been billing for the last couple of years. And if they've been billing, you know, 2000 hours or more, I usually mention that in their cover letter as, you know, something that's impressive. And a lot of my candidates tell me that in their interviews, firms will ask them how many hours they've been billing Um, And so it's interesting because sometimes if the firm is going through a a rough period, uh, you know, you might not get as much work, but that's usually held against the associate. So you really need to be doing everything you can to fill those hours without overbilling. I think Harrison sort of mentions in this article that, you know, one of the types of people with problems is someone who overbills, you know, and the senior associate that I just mentioned, I remember um, a partner complaining to another partner that his client had complained that she was billing too many hours on a particular matter. And the other partner sort of covered for her uh, because the other partner really liked her, you know, and said that, you know, she's just a mid-level associate. She's still getting the hang of things. But, you know, if you continue to do that, overbilling can definitely get back to you if you know if you get sort of the reputation of someone at the firm that's overbilling that's definitely going to hurt your career and you could even get fired for it
0: moving on um and this kind of goes in part with um you know being sure that you you're seen to be working hard is um you know, having a reputation for taking things seriously, also understanding how to create work this all kind of goes together about how um you approach your day to day work maybe we should take those in turn, starting with having a reputation for taking work seriously, so not only um you know being seen to be working hard but but taking it seriously, not necessarily. Um, the same thing. Can anybody expand on that a little bit for me?
2: Yeah, I, I think that taking the work seriously really means that you are, when you're given an assignment the, there's like a way to just do it cur- like on a cursory level and there's a way to really show that the work that you're doing is that you're taking all of the factors into consideration and that you're f- really finding like the heart of the issue and addressing that because sometimes the assignment that you might get, um, you know, it, it might need to actually morph a little bit into something deeper. And I think um, the best associates and the associates that get the, the most, like the best reviews are the ones who will take sort of the prompt and the work and really be able to, to you can see that the person cares about it, really. I mean, there's there's a difference between doing the work and just being able to check that box that it's done and showing the partner or whoever has given you the work that you really thought about this. You took this seriously. You thought about every angle um, and you were th- thinking about things because you're thinking so deeply about it that maybe even the partner hadn't because they just kind of thought about like generally we need to understand like this aspect of the law, but you took it and ran with it and found, you know, found, you know worked it inside and out. Um, and that kind of work is really going to get you be, to be set apart from from the rest of your, you know, because sometimes what I'll, what I'll see is, a, um, you know, a, a partner will give an assignment and, and want a question answered, and they want a question answered in a certain way. And that's not exactly what the law is. So rather than coming back to the partner and saying like, oh, well, the law doesn't actually say this, you need to find analogous cases or what, you know, uh, you need to be able to to look at the issue from a different perspective and find an answer. So maybe the answer doesn't exist how we wanted it to, but we found a different way to answer it and got to the desired result, which I think a lot of young associates just don't do. They'll just be like, sorry, no, that's not the answer and leave it at that. Um, But that's not sort of taking it to the next level and as deeply as you need to.
1: Yeah, one thing that I saw that's kind of funny is, um, and I was working with a, um, a, one time I had an attorney working, uh, or someone that actually became an attorney working uh, at um, a company called Law Crossing here. And he uh, was very smart and he got like in the 170s or something on his LSATs and ended up going to a top 10 law school. But one day I gave him an assignment to to write um, the top, like 100 benefits of using law crossing or something along those lines, which you know you don't have to be that smart to come up with reasons. But you know, the first time he came back, he said I can only think of 10, and then I was like, well, you have to come up with you know a lot more than that. You know, his assignment was 100, and then so over the course of the next like two weeks, like he, he, you know, he, he could never kind of get to 100 every time he would turn in this assignment, and I knew that this guy would not be a good attorney. I just, you know, cause if you can't think on your feet and don't take something seriously like that. So sure enough, like he got a job as a, um, a summer associate at a big firm and then he didn't get an offer. And then he literally, um, you know, because he didn't even take his job search seriously either. He never ended up getting a, a job in a, in a decent sized law firm of more, more than like three or four people ever again. And, um, ended up becoming, uh, you know, a solo practitioner and then going into advertising or something and not doing well at that either. So, you know, the, the thing is when you get any type of assignment, regardless of what it is, it's something that, you know, whoever's giving you the assignment and whoever the client is, I mean, for them, it's like the most important thing in the world. So, you know, you need to, you know, regardless of how important you think it is, you need to make sure, uh, you know, that you take it seriously as well. And then, uh, you know, I, and I tell the story here in this uh you know about an attorney I know that recently um, fired someone, and um, and that was kind of the same thing. Like the attorney wouldn't look deeply into issues and would just do a very cursory examination. And I mean, to the extent where, you know, I mean, one of her briefs uh, he told me about, like she would, you know, when she would turn things in, like she would do things like she would call a house an apartment or. Just make mistakes like that consistently. That weren't that showed she didn't really care about um, the quality of work she was doing. So, you know, you need to be very, very, uh, you know, take take the work you're doing very seriously. And, and I think, like Bree said, you need to look look at a different level of it, you know, look at a different and, and do it better than other people can because that's what makes people advance. And it's the same thing in. You know, business businesses continually improve, and businesses that don't improve and do things better and make things easier for, for customers and so forth, uh, you know, fail. And uh, so you need to do that. It's the same thing with products and services and everything.
0: You know, you mentioned something interesting there, Harrison, about having to think on your feet being such an important skill, um, especially in the early part of your career, and. You know, part of that situational awareness, I think, has to do with how do you create work? You know, it's just not about uh, doing the work that is assigned to you, understanding and and being engaged with that work, but understanding how to create more work, which, you know, is maybe not – Patently obvious when you first start, um, especially when things are just being assigned to you. So, can you give some advice to, especially younger people coming in to the business, uh, becoming young lawyers, about how to, uh, you know, understand how to create work, how, what the the firm needs, and, and how you, as a a, a younger person, can uh, can go about to trying to, to drum that work up.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, the most important thing in in any business or uh, you know any 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 company is is creating work. So you want to you know, there always needs to be work to do. And if there's not work to do, then there's something wrong. And businesses and, you know, attorneys will go out of business when they don't know how to create work. So, you know, creating work, you know, for a lot of attorneys may mean putting an ad in the back of a bus and um, hoping people call uh, and then doing work. Um, so you need to understand how to bring in work. But, you know, creating work means finding things that are wrong uh, in, in uh, you know, and in, in creating more and more work and just you know, things that the client can do and, and and extra things. And, you know, I went to, a, um, a you know, I've been to accountants and dentists and, and you know, people before and doctors where, you know, the work was seemingly will never end if you let them. They'll just keep running away and finding all sorts of extra things that they can do. Chiropractors do that. And, you know, a lot of other types of people will do that. And, and, and a lot of times the best attorneys will do that. They're always, you know, finding new things to be done and new memos. And I remember I once worked for an attorney and anytime uh, a client would come in, he would immediately say that the client needed, you know, four or five memos done on, on different things. And it could be something as simple as diversity jurisdiction, you know, for whether or not, you know, the, he, the client could file a lawsuit in federal court, which, you know, you, you wouldn't think you would need a memo for that, but this guy would, you know, have memos done for everything. And, um, and the reason was, is because it, you know, drove up bills. It gave a work product to the attorney, to the client and, um, you know, kept things going. So attorneys need to understand how to create work and to do more and more. Uh, You know, just turning in a quick assignment a lot of times isn't enough. I mean, uh, attorneys you're working for want to see, you know, that you're able to, you know, find a lot of stuff to be done.
3: And I think that creating work can also for a junior associate be as simple as, you know, not being afraid to approach partners that you want to work with and asking for work. At my firm, it was understood that we had the managing partner of my firm, who was also the head of my practice group, would assign associates to deals. But it was also understood that you could approach uh, partners and ask to be staffed on their deals. And I feel like some of the most successful associates in my group would do that. You know, they would approach partners, ask to work with them. And then obviously that led to the creation of a lot of work and a lot of billable hours for those associates. So for a junior associate, I think it can just be that simple, you know, asking for work and asking to be staffed on cases and deals. For a more senior associate, obviously, it's going to look like um, building business, you know, building up a book of business. And that can be done by attending networking events on behalf of the firm. Um, In the recruiting business, it can be one of our fellow recruiters just attended a federal clerk event recently. And I know that she's now working with a couple of the clerks that she you know, met with at that event. So it actually takes sort of a similar form for recruiters sometimes, but um, for, you know, mid-level and senior associates, it can be just attending events, representing the firm at outside events. Um, For me as a junior associate, it was working with, you know, very young startups. A lot of the times they were these startups that were created by college kids. And obviously that's not going to lead to a whole lot of, (laughs) billable hours in business for the firm, but you know, when that startup is further along um in their development, then that can lead to a lot more business. Uh so yeah, I think creating work can, can take a lot of different forms.
0: You know, we spoke earlier about how important it is to uh, to work hard, to be seen to be working hard. And, you know, part of that is also actually being committed to the work, you know, not just working hard, but but working well. And this must be particularly difficult, I think, in certain um, uh, practice areas where there's a lot of drudgery involved, where there's a lot of nose to the grindstone stuff and, and trying to be, stay committed to that, to stay very interested in that has got to be extremely challenging. What advice would you give to somebody that's kind of really struggling with that point in their career?
1: Well, I mean, the second you start talking about the fact that you want to go in house, you want to do some other type of job, then uh, you know, then the partners and other people that work with you know that you're going to be um, leaving and you're going to be looking for something that's a better opportunity, and they're going to, you know, know that if they introduce you to clients or they they take you under their wing and they give you more training and they help you, uh, that you're likely to leave. So you know, the, from their standpoint, you know, why would they invest time in you if, if you're, if you're going to be leaving, um, you know, to do something else. So a lot of people will talk about that. I mean, when I was practicing law, I mean, pretty much, you know, everyone I knew would walk into my office and tell me how they were going to do something else. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, partners, I know I was, it was funny. One time I was talking to the, the head of a, a pretty decent sized law firm. Um, I was in his office, uh, because I think, uh, anyway, he was representing me on some agreement or something, and it was a good-sized law firm. It was probably like thirty or forty people. It was a well-known LA law firm, and he started talking to me about how he owned all these uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream franchises, and they were his his passion, you know. And like, I couldn't believe it. Like, why did some guy like? You know, owning four or five Haagen-Dazs ice cream chains with this giant, you know, pretty b- decent sized law firm with these, you know, very good attorneys in it. And sure enough, like about three years later, like his law firm just imploded, you know. Um, and, you know, and I mean, you know, it takes a lot to, to even to run a, a good sized law firm and to be, you know, you have to be committed to it. And, uh, you know, and so it's pretty much like that with, with, with most professions. I mean, if you're not committed, someone else is going to be more committed than you. And, uh, and you're not going to do well whether you're a partner or an associate so you do definitely need to be committed there's a um, article that I wrote in BCG it's called I think the number one career killer that most attorneys aren't taught or something and it has to do with commitment and the importance of uh, you know committing and I recommend reading that article because it's uh, um, you know it's it is important and it's something that you know ends most careers inside of law firms and so you need to be you know, 100% committed, you don't necessarily need to tell people you're committed. Cause if you tell people you're committed, in my opinion, you know, people that do that are always the first to leave. <laughs> you know? So I think that comes across more as a warning sign than anything. Um, but you know, you just need to show it through your actions.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's something that you either have or you don't Harrison, that, um, you're either super passionate about this and are fully committed or, or you're not, it's kind of an often kind of a binary thing off or on.
1: Well, I think you have to. Um, you know, I think you have to sell yourself. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make is they really don't sell themselves on their job or or doing well or, or, or that sort of thing. And the people that, you know, advance and get better and succeed at anything are always the ones that, you know, commit. Because the longer you commit to something, the the better you get at it. And the more the more, um, in, you know, the more intricacies you see in terms of how how well you can do, um, the more respect you get in the organization, the you know, the deeper you um, you look at something, the the more effective you get when you, you, you know, you are when you act and the, uh, you know, and it's just, it's a, it's a matter of commitment. I mean, you know, like with recruiting or uh, you know, any profession, you know, if you're committed, you're going to, you know, you're going to work harder. You're going to make a lot more money. You're going to be able to provide a lot more value to people, you know, that come across and your job's going to be much more fun. I mean, just this legal recruiting, you know, that, that I've been doing for a long time. I mean, I learned something new about it you know, multiple things new about it every day. And, you know, if I wasn't like that, I never would. And I think too many people are looking for very simple jobs, you know, where they can, you know, just make money quickly or um, without a lot of effort. And people that do that may find something uh, in the short run, but, uh, you know, and they typically won't in the long run. I'm thinking right now of this attorney that I know. He's you know, when I met him, he was selling insurance. Um, and before that he owned a software company and then he decided to go to medical school to learn, um, Chinese medicine. And then, uh, you know, and then I recently saw him in a, uh, um, you know, like, a like I was in a secondhand furniture store at lunch or something. I don't know what I was doing there. And, um, and, and I, and I saw him there and I hadn't seen him in years and he was wearing a, uh, like a cardigan sweater and he had, I think he he had one of those watches, you know, that you wear on your, uh, you put in your pocket, like a pocket watch. And he looked like a, um, you know, like a, like an old school professor. And he said he was, now he was um, representing uh, people that wanted to sue children or schools or something to be, uh, be having handicapped kids. And this guy like never commits to anything. Like he just does all these things and kind of follows the money and, you know, and it's not, And, you know, my sense is that he'll be doing something new within a year or so. You know, it's just, you know, so if you don't commit, you're never going to do well in anything. And I think it's extremely important.
0: I'd like to talk a little bit more about personal responsibility and some of the things that you need to improve on yourself if you're really going to succeed in this career. Um, And some of these are kind of self-evident. But on the other hand, maybe you don't realize the importance of them, starting with never lying to anyone. Again, it's something we're taught from the beginning since we're children, but you know, everybody lies to a certain degree. And, and and why can it be so toxic inside the workplace if you start to, well, maybe start with some fibs and then get to uh, more larger lies, especially if you get caught in some lies. But uh, can we talk a little bit about that, about why it's so important to be seen as a as an honest person?
2: Yeah, I think it's really easy to start down a path of... T- Saying little white lies because maybe you didn't quite get something finished, or you know you're trying to kind of self do a little bit of self protection, um, and you think that well this little white lie might just buy me some time, and then I can get get this thing done. Um, but I mean, you're, lying is just a reason to get fired, and you, <laughs> if you, um, it's just very likely that any little lie can be found out in a law firm, so it, it's just. Crazy important to just be as straightforward as possible, even if that means a little bit of pain in the beginning. Because you have to come clean about something that you'd rather not. Um, it's just going to be so much more harmful if you don't. Um, so, I just in a law firm more than any place lies. The truth will out, and lies will just get you in trouble.
1: Well, another thing about lying that's that's really important is, I mean, it's you know, like, you know, line is, is, you know, trust is really one of the most important things. So it's the most important thing to relationships, you know, between people and it's the most important thing, uh, you know, especially if you're going to form a long-term relationship with someone. So, you know, the second that trust is, uh, you know, sec- second that trust is lost, I mean, it can never really be, um, you know, taken, gotten again. I mean, it, it, it takes a long time to reestablish it because, you uh, You know, people need to trust people. Like this attorney, I told the story in this article about an attorney that um, you know lost his job just like within a week of before within making partner. And you know, I I always think about that because it just seems so crazy that the firm is so mad and and upset about it just for telling a little white lie about a a, you know article. I mean, not not an article about a. um, uh, you know, like a letter that he sent, and uh, you know. But I think it's all about trust. Like they realized that they'd never be able to trust him, and I think that's important.
0: When it comes to taking responsibility, uh, and that was a big part of uh, what Bree said earlier about not lying, uh, building little white lies around yourself to try and protect yourself. Um, often a sign of uh, uh, you know some lack of uh, uh, self worth or a lack of uh, a strong um, self esteem. And a lot of that comes too with taking responsibility for mistakes. I see this with people all the time that I work with that, uh, you know, something has gone wrong and it's just excuses, excuses, excuses rather than just saying, yeah, I made a mistake. No problem. I'll try and fix that. It's such an easy thing to do, but a lot of people um, can't do it. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important, um, in, especially in, in a firm environment?
3: Well, I think that you know, especially as a junior associate, it's understood that you'll make mistakes, and obviously there are mistakes, and there are mistakes, but hopefully, you know, the sorts of mistakes that you're making as a junior associate are small mistakes. So you know, going along with the last point rather than lying about a mistake that you've made or trying to cover it up. I think it's important to sort of acknowledge the fact that you've made a mistake um, and try to learn from it. Uh, And as Harrison mentions in his article, they're part of the learning process at firms and everyone makes them. And the whole sort of thing about working at a law firm is you're really just learning as you go. Um, You don't really learn how to practice law in law school, you really only learn to practice when you get out into the real world and you actually work at a law firm. So I think, you know, the best thing that you can do is just take responsibility and learn from your mistakes. Certainly don't lie. And um, if it's a small mistake, which hopefully it is, uh, no one will fault you for that. But um, just don't make the same mistake twice.
0: <laughs> Does anyone else want to touch on taking responsibility for mistakes?
1: No, I I, I think that's that, that's an important uh, thing. And so the other thing is a lot of times when people make mistakes, they try to blame other people. And um, that just creates enemies and, uh, you know, create more problems for you. So, you know, just make a mistake. You own up to it and move on. I mean, that's really the most important thing you can do. And sometimes the mistakes are serious. Uh, but... You know, over time, uh, you know, people will forget about it.
0: Let's talk about some of the more social aspects of the work. And this is something that, again, isn't talked about, I'm sure, at all in law school, but it is so important to be part of this, this community that you're really a part of at the firm. And not only for you know personal reasons, but definitely for professional reasons as well. So, starting with like attending firm-sponsored social events, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are maybe more wallflower types that would prefer to not have to show up at the staff Christmas party or whatever. But can we talk about why, uh, Harrison? You think it's so important that you be seen at these social events that you be seen to be attending?
1: Well, law firms, you know, when you're in when you're in the office, I mean, you're typically you know seen as a very uh, you know in a very kind of business like type of environment. And people do not necessarily see you, you know, um, with your guard down or, you know, being, uh, you know, friendly in a, in a more social way. Um, you know, typically people switch gears a little bit when they go to social things, they'll start talking about, you know, vacations or their families or you know, it's a little bit more or um, they'll, they'll kind of joke around about clients or, or things that they wouldn't talk about necessarily in a more formal setting when everyone means business. And so, you know, allowing people to see the human side of you really can make a huge difference in terms of, uh, you know, um, you know your ability to, you know, excel in the law firm and to do well um, because people, you know, want to have connections with people. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that's really kind of what... What ends up, uh, you know, making a big difference. I was reading an article this morning um, where they were talking about uh, actually things like this, like podcasts and uh, and you know blog articles and videos, and trying to say, well, what is the what is the best you know, what is the best length of that stuff? Should it be long? Should it be short? And they were saying that really the most important thing you know, a lot of the wisdom is like, oh, you just make a really short little blog post or short video. And that's, that's all people want to see. But what people really want is they want to feel a connection to the company and they want to feel a connection to, um, you know, the people that they're dealing with. And, um, because that, you know, that's, that's really what's most important. So the extent you can make a connection, um, you know, that's very, that that's a big deal. And, you know, you can do it in a short way sometimes, or you can do it in a longer way. But that's one of the reasons that the firm sponsors social events are important, because, you know, having a connection with the people you work with is a big deal.
3: I remember that uh, at my firm, we had to attend a training in Chicago. And um, I wasn't able to attend one of the dinners because I got staffed on a tech transactions deal at the last minute and had to do a bunch of due diligence for that deal. And the mid-level, the toxic mid-level associate that I've already mentioned, um, like texted me and told all the other associates, you know, where's Romina? Where's Romina? Why isn't she at this dinner? And I remember thinking, who cares if I'm at this dinner? And fortunately, I had a good reason for not being at the dinner, which was that I was doing work. But um, yeah, in retrospect, I realized now, I guess that it is important to be seen, you know, at holiday parties and get togethers, you just definitely want to be seen as a team player. Um, I think it's sort of a Um, reflection of how dedicated, how committed you are to the firm. You know, if if you're interested in socializing with people and attending these get-togethers, it means that you enjoy your colleagues and you want to be part of the firm and you're part of the mission of the firm. So, um, yeah, these sort of things that don't seem to be very important actually are very important to, you know, socialize with your peers, attend these firm-sponsored events.
0: So another aspect of, of the social um, aspect of, of uh, working in a law firm is is going out and, and meeting with clients and, you know, making pitches for new business. It's something, I guess, that, again, is probably not easily taught. But why do you want to engage with that? Why do you want to be part of, of those pitches, especially as a, as a young lawyer? Can you, you guys want to jump in on that?
1: Well, a lot of time the business the business pitch is the only um, you know, actual face-to-face contact that uh, you know, lawyers will have with their clients for a long time. So you know, or in, in some cases, you know I mean I, I've worked with attorneys before that have represented me for a couple of years that I actually never met. You know, and uh, so when you get to go to a, a business pitch, I mean, a lot of times, especially for associates and even for junior partners and others, that's an opportunity, you know, to establish a relationship with a client. And then that client may actually end up giving you work in the future. And um, and you, you'll be the one in the office that kind of, that, that they have, that, that the client is sort of imprinted in with and has that relationship with. So that's important. Um, but the other thing that's important is just to kind of watch how they work and, you know, to take responsibility for it, uh, you know, to some extent, you know, you may not get responsibility, the credit for it, but to, you know, to have a role in bringing that client in, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing and watching how more senior attorneys uh, interact with clients and how they, you know, may under promise and over deliver and, you know, how they, you know, frame issues and so forth. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's very important, uh, you know, to go to these business generation functions, uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, and the, it's also an opportunity to get out of the office and to, uh, you know, to bond with uh, you know other attorneys and you know to travel with them and uh, and to to kind of form those informal relationships as well.
0: I'd like to move on by talking about um, how you interact with other people in the firm uh, and I guess how you're seen to be interacting as well. It's starting with criticizing management or senior attorneys. I mean, everyone's got complaints about their bosses and coworkers. It's just part of the job. Uh, can you talk a little bit why it's really important to, to avoid talking smack about management or other senior attorneys, you know, especially publicly, especially, you know, with other lawyers, other firms?
1: Well, I mean, the, the worst thing you could possibly do is criticize management or, or or more senior attorneys. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, and especially attorneys, I mean, you just never know because, uh, you know, they can come down very, very hard on you and, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just not a good thing. Uh. You know, I, you know, gave an example on the article of a attorney I once saw of criticizing, the you know, when I was a summer associate, criticizing the firm's pro bono record. And that may seem like a very, you know, like trivial thing. And I, I certainly, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but he did it in front of, you know, like the, you know, several important partners in the firm, uh, you know, that uh, certainly, you know, we're, we're not happy to hear that in front of their summer associates. And I'd never seen like, you know, I saw him being yelled at in the halls about his work and everything for for a long time after that. Because, you know, the work an attorney does is very subjective. And so if you, uh, you know, if if someone wants to get mad at you or, or, you know, or or they feel threatened by you, I mean, they can can definitely, you know, come down on you in in ways that are are ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, you need to be very,
0: very careful of that. What about keeping your personal life out of the office? Everyone's got um, lives that can get very complicated sometimes. And sometimes the only place that you feel you can vent is at work. Not a good idea, right?
3: Yeah, definitely not a good idea. And I think this is true in a lot of professions, but yes, I feel like law firms, you know, are very small, insular environments and word gets around quickly. So you certainly want to avoid speaking about your personal life and certainly, you know, engaging in romantic relationships if possible with others at your law firm. Um, it, I guess can seem pretty harmless if it's just an associate between an associate, but certainly we all have stories from our firms of, you know, partners having romantic relationships with associates and that never really leads to good things. Um, I remember uh, the managing partner of my office and then another partner of my office were actually at another big law firm prior to coming to my firm. And um, one of them was sort of the junior partner. And then the other one was a junior associate and the junior partner was married and had a child with someone else. um, When I guess the two of them kind of engaged in romantic relationships and they both ended up leaving the firm and and coming to my firm. And so obviously things ended up well for them in the end, but, you know, I, I think it's just, it's a dangerous thing to do. I, I don't think it's a good policy to engage in if you can avoid it.
1: Well, and just, you know, it's just, it's just not, you know, relationships. It's, it's kind of all types of personal things because, you know, you have to remember that a, you know, a law firm is a, uh, is a, is a competitive environment. And so people will, uh, you know, use anything that they can a lot of times against you. And, you know, and using those things against you will, um, you know, try to undermine you. And if they can undermine you to, to make themselves look better, they will. Uh, I was working with a partner not too long ago from a major law firm in New York City that was, an, he was an equity partner in a big firm. And, uh, you know, he'd had too much to drink at a, um, a Christmas party and, um, you know, told somebody some stuff. I don't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't that big of a deal. But, um, you know, when he sat down um, and, and they reviewed him, he got a review or some something happened. I mean, they brought all this stuff up and that he would said to this person. So the person had used it against him. And it wasn't even, you know, he wasn't hitting on anybody or anything like that. He was just sharing some kind of, you know, details from his personal life that he probably shouldn't have. So people will, you know, use, use things against you. And so, you know, the more things get around, um, you know, with your personal life, uh, you, you can definitely, um, you know, hurt yourself quite a de- quite a big, you know, quite a bit, um, you know, another, uh, you know, partner I remember, uh, got a, had a his girlfriend or something, had a temporary restraining order against him. And, uh, and that got around. I think he lost his job because of it, just because he was, you know, trying to rekindle a romance or something. I'm not saying it was a good thing or bad thing. I don't know exactly what happened. But, you know, it was out of the office. And, um, you know, and, and so things can get back if you share things So people will use anything negative they can against you.
2: And I think fair or not, um, law firms, it's kind of see sometimes your personal life and your personal relationships are kind of an extension of your professional ones. And like if you're if you have problems at home, whether it's fair or not, like the firm might think that there's, you know, that reflects poorly on you as an overall person and might sort of judge you for that. So, I mean, I know that, for example, on the good side of things, like firms like to see people who are married, people who have, you know, strong relationships and strong family relationships. And it's, it's a strange thing, but it's really, I really have sort of seen firms care about you having sort of your personal life together as a reflection of like whether or not you have the rest of your life together. Um, so if you're kind of broadcasting issues that you're having in your personal life, um, that might sort of seep into how you're viewed professionally as well.
0: That's a good segue, Bree, about broadcasting your personal life because we're going to talk about how your employer might find out about some, uh, uh, say, uh, uh, embarrassing aspects of your personal life. You know, before we had this conversation, I was reading an article about uh, whether or not uh, Amazon or Google's home speakers and video cameras are, are monitoring you and keeping. Uh, track of you on a daily basis. Well, I mean, maybe it's an open question, but we do know who is almost certainly monitoring your phone calls and internet activity at the office. And that's your boss. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Again, maybe something that people haven't considered, but the fact that, you know, company phones and computers are monitorable and oftentimes they are being monitored.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I remember learning for the first time that they like most law firms have like sort of some sort of inter-office communication, like a kind of a, you know, I am type of communication. Um, and absolutely, that is monitored and monitor, monitorable. And I remember just being absolutely flabbergasted when I learned that. And, you know, you have these whole huge tech teams that are working at these law firms and they have access to all of that stuff. And I'm not sh- and It's a very black box of like what the firms are actually looking for, or what they're doing with that information. But... But absolutely, do not think that uh, you know any communications you're having, like with your colleagues, uh, are absolutely private. So, be
1: forewarned.
0: <laughs> Unless anyone thinks that this is uh, some horrible intrusion on your privacy, it is nevertheless legal, right, guys?
1: Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming it must be uh, if it happens so much. That's a good point. I think in the office it probably is legal. Yeah, you know, I don't know about recording phone calls, but that that may, that, that actually may be. Um, that may be legal, too. I, I don't know. But um, but it definitely happens, though, right? It definitely happens. And, you know, I mean, I've worked with people before where the law firm, you know, like I mentioned in the article, where the law firm has found out uh, the people are leaving uh, just because uh, they were monitoring their, their screens. And, um, and then I knew of another major New York law firm where someone went and they posted a comment about their firm on – you know, one of these kind of gossip news sites, and uh, and then the law firm—it was—it was crazy. Like the law firm, like they posted something about um, negative about their law firm, and, and and the law and the law firm found out within like a couple hours, and you know, went and just fired the person right away. And it was just something that they'd done at work um, from their work computer. So. Um, And they found it out because I think they were recording their screens too. So I think, you know, law firms will, uh, you know, they have clients to protect, I think, you know, and I I, I think probably the reason it is legal because if you're thinking about, you know, a law firm – you know, representing a client in a mergers and acquisition, you know, transaction or, or stock may be at issue and they don't want insider trading and stuff. That's probably one reason they do it.
3: And I found, this isn't really mentioned in the article, but I found that with candidates that I work with, a lot of the times I'll source candidates by emailing them directly to their firm email addresses. And 98% of the time, you know, those people will respond from personal emails or will call me Um, And I didn't realize that when I was a junior associate, I used to get emails from recruiters and I would just respond, you know, not realizing that there was a possibility that the firm might be monitoring my email or my screen activity. But, you know, if you are going to work with a recruiter, it might go without saying, but, you know, you should probably be on the safe side and email them from a personal email address or just call
2: them.
0: You know, I want to cycle back to a conversation we were having earlier about the quality of your work and how that you can maintain um, not only the appearance of of doing uh, hard work, but doing good work as well. Uh, And I was thinking that maybe we should talk a little bit about how you – balance what you're taking on you know especially when you're a young person you want to be seen as saying yes 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 to everything take on as much as you possibly can um you don't want to be seen as somebody that uh is kind of refusing work saying that uh no i i simply can't do this anymore but but you kind of have to at a certain point right you can't do everything um and especially when people will continue to you know stack up uh, more assignments on your desk how do you balance that how do you balance that thing where you can say listen I, this is as much as I can possibly do without um, you know without uh, you know hurting your relationships with others in the firm
2: yeah I think that's one of the most difficult tight ropes to walk early in your career um, because A, you are excited to take on the new work and you want to learn and you want to get this new work and you want to have a good reputation for being a team player and a go-getter. But if at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to give the quality work without absolutely killing yourself and working, you know, until four in the morning and sleeping under your desk. Not that I've ever done that, Um, but you need, you do need to, it is a skill that you need to learn. Um, And I think some, some firms have um, some internal, mechanisms that you could like some, we had like an associates committee at my firm um, that you are able to approach and they are supposed to be advocates for associates. It's a bit of a, you know, you, hopefully you can do this and, and not, well, anyway the point is you can go to like an associates committee and if you are getting kind of pulled in too many different directions they can kind of help you navigate that um, if it's something where you just don't feel like you're able to um, you know protect your time and protect yourself but sometimes that sometimes that can help um, or you know just being very straightforward with like you know be putting it in the light of like, I don't want to sacrifice the work that I'm doing on this matter. I would be more than happy to work with you. I'm thrilled for the opportunity. Thank you so much for coming to my, you know, coming to me with this. Um, I just think right now I I can't take that, that on, but it is tough. And it's a really, and honestly, I think most junior associates don't end up saying no. Um, but, you know, I think in the long run you are doing yourself a disservice because you just will not have the mental bandwidth or capacity to do absolutely everything that might, Come your way and do it well.
1: And the thing is, is what they'll remember is they'll remember the mistakes you made, or the the fact that you didn't turn the work in on time, or you know that sort of thing. And I I was working with a uh, someone recently that lost their job from a big firm, and they were working you know two hundred fifty hours plus per month for weeks and never turned on any work, and then then they were supposed to be there just basically to present some. Uh, papers to a partner that were already done to to give to a client uh, one morning and um, ended up sleeping in and lost their job because they slept in, you know, so that, and, and so, you know, the law firm doesn't care that you've done 250 hours worth of work for several months and exhausted yourself. They just remember the mistakes. And so, you know, you need to make sure that you never take uh, on more work than you can handle. Otherwise, it can really hurt you. Uh, if you do make mistakes,
0: what about um, this? Kind of goes along with trying to your work management, um, trying to ensure that you don't need too much handholding. This is, I'm sure, difficult, especially with complicated matters. But how do you uh, go about ensuring that you know what you have to do without appearing that you need to be, uh, you know, looked over and, and babysat?
3: I think it's okay, you know, especially as a junior associate, it's perfectly fine when you get an assignment to ask a lot of questions. I think Harrison mentions in his article you should ask a lot of questions up front to understand, you know, exactly what you need to do on the assignment and what is expected of you. Um, And I think it's generally a good policy to ask, you know, maybe other associates, other mid-level senior associates that you trust and that would be able to kind of help you out. For help. you know, I always try to kind of, go to associates before I went to partners if I had questions about an assignment. But yeah, I think if you do have questions, which you probably will, because a lot of working at a law firm is just sort of learning on the fly, you should certainly ask them up front and then do everything you can to try to figure things out on your own or, um, you know, get other sort of senior supervising associates to maybe help you out if they've had experience with similar assignments.
2: You, you also have access to amazing amounts of precedent in, in most law firms. There's some sort of shared drive that you can access, like do searches and find other um, content that has been created and saved to that shared drive. So that is an absolutely invaluable resource to if you sort of have a question of like, what should this format be? What should this look like? How you know how have other people done this in the past? You know, Doing your own kind of research on the internal resources that the firm already has produced in the past it can definitely give you some insight
0: how important is it, do you think, to um, to, to be? To, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, to dress nicely when you're going to work. Um, again, this is not something that maybe is front of mind for people who are first starting out. But um, you know, it's, I think especially in a in the in a law firm um looking your best is really important uh this is a bit impolitic to ask but what do you guys think how important is it to to be uh to be dressed well to to keep your appearance up
1: you know it's it's um it's important uh you know you need to um you know look as you know you i mean i i think it depends on the firm you know so there's different types of firms you know where people uh you know may all dress the same and it may not be that nice nicely but Uh, you know, you still need to to look good and you need to, um, you know, try to look as professional as you possibly can, uh, you know, around, um, you know, you don't want to dress better than the attorneys you're with because otherwise you'll look like kind of a, you'll look stupid, Um, but you want to dress in a way where, um, you know, you're not um, acting like a slob. Now, I don't know that it's just as important um, you know, to, you know, to how you dress. I mean, it's, it's also, you know, keeping yourself up and not, you know, looking frumpy and so forth. And, uh, you know, I can remember early in my career, like I was working at a, like a very, you know, uptight law firm where everyone dressed up and, and that sort of thing and looked really, really, you know, really dressed well. And, um, and I walked into a, a partner's office one day and he was, um, taking me out to lunch to discuss working on a big case and the first thing I saw him do when I when I walked in was look at my shoes and my shoes weren't they were they weren't scruffy but they were they weren't like, you know, shiny. And, and then, you know, I thought that was kind of unusual, and so I got them shined, you know, right away, and then started sharing on my shoes, and I noticed that all the all the associates that were working with them always had really well-shined shoes, you know, and um, you could practically see a reflection off of, which sounds ridiculous, especially in this day and age, but, you know, but that that's just what was important to the guy, and he was representing big companies, like I think his biggest client was Texaco, and, and that's what um, they thought was important, so you know, there's certain law firms where, you know, if you, you know, if you don't, you know, shave or, you know, look good where it's going to be an issue for them. So you just want to look, you know, you want to look healthy and you want to look like the kind of person you would want representing you if you had a legal issue. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be, um, you know, in the best shape or, or you know, have the best grooming or look you know, but you, you should be someone that looks, you know, looks like, a you know, the kind of person you'd want doing work for you. And every client has different types of firms. I mean, you know, it's, you know, different types of expectations.
0: What do you guys think about, um, the, the, we're, we're talking a lot about the quality of work and, you know, obviously doing it on time is, is incredibly important and doing it uh, the first time right is really important. Not easier said than done though. And I wondered if you could, could give some, uh, some directives, some advice to people about how to ensure that the work that they're going to turn in is going to be accepted the first time around. Um, uh, again, easier said than done. But do you have any uh, any pointers?
2: Yeah, I think that you need to um, <clears throat> you you need to treat your your drafts and everything that you're working on as as final products, right? And then I think you also you need to actually like give yourself some, some time kind of scheduled in to give yourself a chance to read it with fresh eyes, because sometimes you're just kind of working frantically and you have been working on it so diligently for so much time. And then you just think, okay, finally, I'm done. I just want to send it off. And it's, is out of, it's out of my mind, but you have to build in time to literally go back and read it with fresh eyes, see if there's any mistakes, see if everything makes sense, reading it fresh. Um, and I think that, that is one thing that I think people people don't like build in time to edit um and I think that's where you can kind of get in trouble also also uh, making sure that if you are working you know collaborative collaboratively with somebody and there's the, like track changes that you have actually gone through and looked at all the track changes and may like literally people will notice if you have like not you know, accepted a change for at like adding a space or something. And you know, that's that those like little mistakes. So kind of making sure that you've done all the track changes, accepted all the track changes, seen everything. I mean it's really just the minutiae. Um but those types of little mistakes can definitely add up. Um, But I think most of the most importantly it's just um giving yourself that opportunity to to look at it again.
1: Yeah and just making sure I mean the the you know draft never means something with typos on it. I mean uh, it's just, you know, a draft means, you know, something that's very, very good, but you think with an extra day you could maybe make exceptional or even better. Uh, you know, it means, you know, that there's not a lot of super, superfluous language and, um, you know, and the, but the biggest thing I think is that, you know, what an attorney is selling is their work product and their ability to, you know, write in a very clear and convincing manner, much more so than uh, their clients are. And, to, and the quality of your work um, and what you know you're showing to a client is, um, you know, what is, is how they're represented. So if they're represented by someone making a lot of typos and mistakes and so forth, that doesn't make them feel good. And um, you know, the better work you do, uh, you know, the I mean, you know, you know, it's it's important. And um, you know, it's what clients are selling. And I mean, what's what law firms are selling.
0: Yeah, and I suppose what you're selling is is your work and being available at all times is probably incredibly important, especially, again, in your early part of your career. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how important it is to be seen, uh, to be available really anytime, weekends, holidays, evenings, that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, I think this, you know, goes back to sort of showing your commitment at a law firm. And we recorded a podcast about why commitment is so important. But I think, you know, responding quickly to both client client emails partner you know other associate emails is important i think we talked about on the last podcast that there's sort of an unwritten rule that you need to respond to emails you know i felt like it was within 2 hours of getting an email certainly from a partner Um, when I was at a law firm, I felt like you sort of needed to respond uh, within, you know, an hour, certainly no more than two hours, even on weekends and on holidays, maybe with holidays, there's a bit more leeway, but on weekends, I felt like I needed to respond pretty promptly. And that goes for, you know, responding early in the morning, late at night. Obviously, I don't think it's expected that you respond at 3am in the morning, But if you get an email at three in the morning, you should probably respond, you know, when you wake up around 7am or so. But um, anyway, yeah, you know, obviously to your clients, uh, their matter is the most important thing in the world. And I feel like by responding quickly, certainly to clients, you're showing that you take the work
2: that you're doing for them very seriously and that you're very committed to them. And unfortunately, I think actually sometimes you do need to be responding at three in the morning. If you're working with partners who are up and working at that time, they often will be expecting that you are too. If they're working, you're working. And that's an unfortunate reality. Um, And the things that can, even if you don't think that you have any work that would be pressing over the weekend, the kinds of things that can come up on the weekend are and happen to me multiple times is like a client pitch that's the kind of and so like they need to do a client pitch and they need they need you to do some research related to that Um, and they're going to go pitch that client this weekend so even if you're kind of not expecting anything um, something can absolutely come through uh, that you do need to respond to and especially when you're junior associate you're kind of the low man on the totem pole um, and that stuff will fall fall to you to, to take the first crack at putting together you know some analysis and and that kind of thing so yeah you you have to be available
0: Thanks, everyone. I really enjoyed this. Thanks,
2: Danny. Thank you.
0: That's all the time we have for this edition of Lawyers Rising. My thanks to Brie Mills, Romita Filipu, and Harrison Barnes. If you're an attorney looking for a change, go to bcgsearch.com.